If you have a Bible today, let's go to the book of Revelation. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. Over the last several weeks, we have listened as Jesus spoke to the seven churches there in Revelation who were facing hardship and they were facing persecution. They were facing all kinds of adversity as they were battling against sin and they were battling against Satan. And some of these churches were staying very faithful to Jesus. Some of them were staying very strong. Some of these churches were compromising in so many ways. And some of these churches were becoming very complacent in their relationship with Christ. And we listened in over a couple of weeks and we heard Jesus as he applauded those churches for what was good. And we heard Jesus admonish those churches for what wasn't good. And we heard Jesus affirm the future that those churches have because of him. And what Jesus does now in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 is he gives his church the greatest source of motivation that you could ever have to fight sin in your life, to live confident in the Lord. And what he does, the greatest source of motivation that Jesus is providing for the churches and for this church and for his church in Revelation 4 and 5, that greatest source of motivation is a glimpse of the glory of God. That's what Revelation chapter 4 and 5 is going to provide for us. And it's going to do that because God transports John in the spirit to the very throne room of heaven. And so church, we're going to get to go to heaven today as much as we possibly can while we're still here on earth. As we go to heaven today, let me say this. We are not unaware that until Jesus comes, there's a lot of work still to be done in this world. The fabric of our society right now is being stretched and pulled, I would say more so than I've ever seen it in my soon-to-be 46 years. This fabric may even be tearing in some places, perhaps even irreparably. Racism and hatred and violence and lawlessness is all around us. And we're praying for and grieving with today the family of George Floyd and we grieve with our precious African-American families, especially those in our Grace Life family. We also pray today for our noble and courageous law enforcement officers. We pray for their safety. And we pray for their families. And we also are praying today for those who are seeking to wrong other people. We're praying for those who are using their authority to oppress other people. Who, or who are acting in a way to selfishly and callously destroy lives and livelihoods and property. We pray that those would soon repent in faith and turn and trust Jesus to be their Savior. With every passing week that goes by, I'm finding that our 21st century culture is becoming more and more quickly like the first century culture. When I first started thinking about preaching through the book of Revelation, it didn't really seem quite like that at the time. I thought about the first century and all of their hardship and all of their adversity and all of their persecution, and I thought, we're so far removed from that. I don't feel that way anymore. A lot has changed over the last three months. A lot has changed even to the point that I think we all are a little nervous 
to look at the news the next day to see what's happened next. The people in the first century church lived in a pressure cooker, and make no mistake about it, the pressure cooker of what is known now as the year 2020 seems to be getting turned up more and more every single day. The church in the first century desperately needed to hear what God had to say in Revelation 4 and 5. You and I desperately need to hear what God has to say from Revelation 4 and 5 today as well. Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. After this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, that's the voice of Jesus, said to John, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. Can we just praise the Lord there isn't after this? Let's just not miss those two really important words right there. What John is about to see is really indescribable. There are no human words to describe what John is about to see. He is about to see the glory of God the Father. He is about to see the glory of God the Son. He is about to see the glory of God the Holy Spirit. Nothing is going to give you strength to battle against sin in your life like seeing the glory of God. A pep talk from your pastor is not going to give you the strength you need to do battle against sin in your life, but the glory of God will. No matter how great that sin may be, His glory is far greater. Nothing will give you a passion to not grow cold or complacent in your relationship with God like getting a glimpse of the glory of God. Nothing is going to give you strength to stand in troubling days and in the face of adversity like getting a view of the glory of God. Revelation 4 and 5 are what I believe the two most glory-filled passages in the entire Bible. I call them our glory glasses and what john's going to do today is help us focus on revelation chapter 4 with this lens and focus on revelation chapter 5 with this lens and in doing so he's helping the church look beyond our hard times look beyond our suffering look beyond our pain look beyond all the brokenness in our heart and our life and in this world that we live in and see what god has in store for those who love him all right, boys and girls. Y'all know what these are? Binoculars. Who said that? I can't see you. Oh, I'll never see you if you're right in front. You know why? Because here's what binoculars do. Binoculars help me see past what's right in front of me. In fact, they sort of take that out of focus. And they put what is in what is far away in focus for me to be able to see. That's what Revelation 4 and 5 is going to do for us today. It's going to allow us to look beyond today's headlines and see tomorrow's glory in the very throne room of God. There's where, that's where we want to go. And there's more there, I assure you, than we can talk about in the next 30 minutes. There's more there that we're going to be able to talk about for all of eternity so we're going to focus in on two things we're going to focus in on a throne and we're going to focus in on a scroll let's look at the throne in chapter four chapter four and chapter five the word throne kids is found 
17 times. I see mama's going, hey, there's your scavenger hunt question, the next one. God's drawing our attention to the throne. He speaks of it 17 times here. Let's talk about the throne and who is on it. Who is on the throne? Chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Only one seated on the throne. There is only one God, and He abides on one throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Let me just tell you, this is God the Father that is seated there on the throne. And he is at the center of everything. Everything is revolving around God the Father on his throne. And I don't mean just everything in chapter 4 is revolving around God the Father. I'm telling you right now in this moment, everything is revolving around God the Father. You don't forget that today. You don't forget that tomorrow. No matter how out of control this world may seem like it is, you remember that everything is revolving around God. And John says he has the appearance of Jasper and carnelian jasper is a kind of stone that's sort of like a diamond i think uh, beautiful crystal clear able to refract so many different colors that our fallen eyeballs have probably never even seen and carnelian is this rich red rubyish kind of stone and so you you have john here grasping at straws to find human language to describe the glorious radiance that's emanating from this Throne. This is not the only place, by the way, in the Bible where we have a description of the throne of God. I encourage you to read Ezekiel chapter 1 later on today. And you can read about the throne of God there. You can read about it also in Daniel chapter 7. I'll give you a sample from Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. That's the throne, and that's who's on it. Now, let's look at the throne, and let's see who is around it, or what is around it. At the end of verse 3, it says, And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of of an emerald. So from the throne you have this brilliant, glorious, radiant light reflecting colors like you can't imagine. And all of this is encircled by what John describes as a what looks like a rainbow, emerald or green in color. Now that green emerald rainbow is not the only thing around the throne. Look at verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. There's a lot of discussion about who are these 24 elders. Some think that they are angels. Some say, well, 12 of them are Old Testament patriarchs, and the other 12 are New Testament apostles. And there's good arguments for all kinds of theories about that. And I don't know who the 24 elders are. And I'm okay with that because I do know who's on the throne in the middle. And that's really all that I need to know. Whoever they are, they're ruling and they're reigning with God. At the end of verse 6 says, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, imagine this now, to the front of the throne, the back of the throne, the right of the throne, the left of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, 
the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We just sang those very words. You can see these creatures again in Ezekiel chapter 1. If you read Ezekiel chapter 1 today, you'll get a better idea of just how enormous these creatures actually are. Are how Ezekiel describes them there. They're called cherubim, different from the seraphim that Isaiah encounters in Isaiah chapter 6. There's a lot that we could go into about the appearance of these great creatures, but that's for another day. Verse 9 says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. So now we know who's on the throne. We know what is around the throne. Now let's look at what is coming from the throne. Verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. So here we have this glorious, brightly lit, radiant throne surrounded by this emerald rainbow. 24 elders on thrones, they're in white, they're wearing crowns. You, you, you have these four great creatures to the back, to the front, to the left, to the right of that throne. And then John says, and then coming from all that, you have flashes of lightning and sounds of thunder. That's the throne. That's who's on it. That's what's around it. That's what's coming from it. Now I want you to see what's in front of it. At the end of verse 5, it says, And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Now we see the Holy Spirit in all of His glory. These seven torches are not like the seven lampstands that we read about earlier in Revelation. Those seven lampstands were kind of subtle. They were meant to give off a, a warm, inviting luminous glow to an interior room. These seven torches are magnificent. They light up the noonday. Seven, complete. This is the complete totality. All the glory of the Holy Spirit is being revealed here in this moment. So the Holy Spirit and all of His glory is in front of God the Father in all of His glory. And then coming out from this glorious scene is this vast pavement, a sea of glass or crystal. Did you get that? Who's on the throne? What's around the throne? What's coming from the throne? And who and what is in front of the throne? And then John takes our glory glasses. Now he starts to focus in chapter 5. And he focuses chapter 5 on a scroll. So let's look at the scroll. What is it? Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him 
who was seated on the throne. Who's seated on the throne? God the Father. And John says, I see in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Boys and girls, you know, you know what a scroll is? It's just a piece of paper, right, kind of rolled up like this. We knew, what, we knew what a scroll was when I was growing up because our parents used to, there used to be this thing they delivered to the house called a newspaper. <laughs> and, and sometimes they'd roll that newspaper up like a scroll. And that usually wasn't a good moment when that went down on a Sunday afternoon. That Sunday paper was thick, buddy. It'd get a hold of you. But this is a scroll. It was this piece of parchment that was rolled up. And the Bible says that it was written on the inside and on the backside, and it was sealed up with these, these seven seals, like big glops of wax, boys and girls. They had plopped down on that parchment to hold it shut. They did that seven times. Now, that sounds a little odd to us, but the first century Christians, they knew what that scroll was. They looked at that, and they immediately thought that that's, that's a title or a deed of some sort. That, that's how first century Legal transactions would happen if you were selling a piece of property or giving away a piece of land to another person. You would write out the terms of that contract and who you were and who you're giving it to and how they're taking possession of that. And it would be rolled up and it would be sealed then with wax. And the only person then who could break the seal is the right possessor of the contents of what's inside that scroll. I told you last week our oldest daughter is going to graduate high school. Graduation's actually next Sunday. Big long weekend for the Fredericks next weekend. And she's been getting cards and notes in the mail like seniors always do. And she got one this week from Miss Sherry Van, sweet member of our church. And beautiful envelope. And on the back of it where, you know, you normally lick it shut, Sherry had dropped this beautiful glob of red wax and stamped it with her, her stamp, her identity, and it was beautiful and stunning, and Karis's little sister, Kalia, was interested in that. She likes to get the mail. She'll tell you every day on the way home, can I check the mail, can I check the mail? And to see that envelope, this beautiful glob of wax, she wants to tear into that, but hey, KJ, you cannot. That is not yours. That belongs to your sister. She is the only one that is able to break that seal and open up and receive what's ever inside of that. Well, this scroll that's in the right hand of God the Father, it's got something inside of it, and it's not just a Visa gift card. Far more than that. What's inside the scroll that God the Father is holding is the title deed to the entire created world. All of it. Inside that scroll is God's plan for the entire world. Inside that scroll, by the way, is the end of sin. Inside that scroll is the end of suffering. Inside that scroll is the end of cancer. Inside that scroll is the end of injustice. Inside that scroll is the end of violence and lawlessness. Inside that scroll is the end of wars. Inside that scroll is the end of famines. It's the end of pandemics. Inside that scroll, praise God, is the end of social distancing. Inside that scroll, best of all, is the end of Satan himself. Our future is what's inside that scroll. Our hope is what's inside that scroll. Our eternal with Christ is what's inside that scroll. That's the scroll. That's what it is. Let's talk about the scroll. Who is worthy to open it? 
verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. No one worthy. All the men and women who may have been there in that moment, who had once lived on earth, not a one was worthy. Not a one of the inhabitants of heaven was worthy. Abraham didn't make a sound. He knew he wasn't worthy. Moses didn't raise his hand. David didn't take a step. Peter didn't utter a peep. Paul remained silent. If there's no one worthy to open that scroll, Satan wins. Death wins. Sin wins. And we are the most pitied of all people. We have no hope. That's why John was weeping. Like some of us have wept this week. As we've watched our world fall apart. Some of us have wept this week as we've received phone calls from friends. With horrible news. We understand How John, in some part at least, must have felt to think, there's no end to this. This is just going to continue on and on without end. John is weeping loudly. And then we come to verse 5. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? His name is Jesus. Who is the root of David? That is Jesus. Who is God in flesh that lived a perfect and sinless life and shed his blood at the cross to redeem sinners from every tongue and tribe and nation? His name is Jesus. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has conquered the grave. He has conquered Satan. And he is worthy to open the scroll. Verse 6 says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, John draws our attention back with this lens over to chapter 4, past the seven torches that are the glory of the Spirit of God. And just behind the Holy Spirit there, God the Father on His throne in this emerald rainbow sea of glass, 24 thrones, four great creatures. And just between God the Father and those four great creatures, this is what John sees. He says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. John probably thought he would turn and see a ferocious lion. But when he turns, he sees a lamb that looks like it has been slaughtered. It looks as it should be dead. But it's not. 
John said, this lamb is standing. And this lamb has seven horns. Horns are symbolic of power. Seven, symbolic of completion. This lamb is not a weak little lamb. This lamb has complete power. All power has this lamb. And seven eyes, which the text tells us represents the totality of God's spirit, which has gone out to every corner of the earth to redeem a people for God from every tongue and tribe and nation. John says, verse 7, and he went. That is the lamb. The lamb went. It's my favorite verse in the whole Bible. I think it's Pastor Johnny's maybe, his favorite verse too. The lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. You feel that contrast in your heart? Moments ago, there was nobody that could do that. There was nobody that could bring all this brokenness and hurt and pain and death to an end. Nobody. Now there's somebody. Throughout history, many have tried to make this world their kingdom. Perhaps a few had noble intentions. Some were wicked. Some were strong. Some were brilliant. But every single one of them were slaves to sin and to death. They might conquer other kings and other kingdoms and other nations, but they could not conquer Satan. They could not conquer sin. But then there came one, like no other, God in flesh. He lived a sinless life, dying in our place. Sin had no control over him. Death could not stop him. Satan could not defeat him. Jesus came. And he flipped the script. And he defeated Satan. He conquered by becoming a lamb and shedding his blood for you and for me that we might be reconciled to God. He was despised. He was afflicted. He was rejected. He was stricken. He was smitten. He was wounded. He was chastised. He was pulverized for you and for me that we might be saved. He is fully man so he can represent us before God and he is fully God so he can represent God to us that makes him alone worthy to open that scroll he alone can usher in a new heaven and a new earth and he will he will verse 8 and when he had taken the scroll The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, don't miss this, which are the prayers of the saints. He's been listening to you. You've wondered. You've wondered if he's heard you. Only every single time. And all of your prayers are going to be answered in this moment. He's collected them all in some glorious bowl. Golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. 
And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said, Amen! And the elders fell down and worshipped. Man, we need to bask in His glory today. We need to be filled with that glory today. We need His Holy Spirit to come and wring us out because we have soaked in everything in this broken world. And we're so full of so many sinful thoughts and attitudes and desires. May He wring us out so that He might fill us up with His glory. If only, if only my family could see the glory of God today, they would be forever changed. If only this nation could see the glory of God today, this nation would be changed. We need to see, we need to know, we need to bask in His glory. Let me tell you five quick things about God's glory. His glory empowers us to overcome any temptation. His glory empowers us to overcome any temptation. Your sin is not greater than His glory. You don't need a pep talk from the pastor to conquer sin in your life. You need the glory of God. His glory enables us to endure any tribulation. His glory enables us to endure any tribulation. If you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death today, keep your eyes on His glory. His glory reminds us that God is in control. God is in control. His glory reminds us that our enemy has been defeated. Our enemy has been defeated. And His glory reminds us that our sin and our suffering will soon end. Soon. Let's pray. Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to God, and they and we shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and might forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship.